three scriptures, Malachi 3.2, Romans 2.4, and Romans 11.22. And this is what the word of the Lord says, Malachi 3.2. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, Romans 2.4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Romans 11:22. Behold the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. Severity, but toward thee. Goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray in these moments, God, that you prepare us. Lord, we're preparing. We are submitting to you. We're submitting to your word, Lord. I just pray, Lord, your liberty, you have liberty in this house, and you would help our pastor bring forth the word in power and anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the name of the Lord. It's good to see everybody in the house of the Lord this morning. Before I get into the word of the Lord, I want to do a little bit of something. We have a brother that has been suffering over cancer, and when one suffers, we all suffer together. We've got a lot of people in the church that's been battling cancer, and we all of them have come back with great reports except one, Brother uh, Calhoun, uh, Greg Calhoun, he's got a bad report. They've sent him home, and they say there's not much they can do. But I want to tell you something. Well, as long as there's breath in that body, there's hope. And you and I are not going to let up on our prayers, and we're not going to let up on us believing God for a miracle. He had a rough night last night. And I'd like for you, if you would, to just bow your heads with us and let's have a word of prayer. And let's just pray over Greg right now and let's just believe God to heal him. How many believes that God can heal him as a result of the prayer today? Let's just look at it today at 11.05 or whatever time it is. We just believe that the angels of the Lord that appeared unto our brother, uh, Chris Vaughn, that he can just appear right there in that home and healing can take place right up there around Williamsville where he lives. Uh, Father, right now in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we come to you as with a burden with our brother, Father. We pray right now, God, that Greg Calhoun would be visited by your Holy Spirit. Father, I remember sitting on the front pew of this church, God, and you speaking to me about how that you visited my brother and you healed him of that stage four brain cancer, God. And now, Father, I'm praying for the exact same thing to be done to my brother Greg, God. I pray that every ounce of cancer in his body will dry up right now in Jesus' name. I pray that every cancer cell shall be destroyed. I pray I pray that every ounce of affliction shall be removed. I pray for divine reversal. I pray, God, that things will turn around right here this day. I rebuke all pain in his body. I come against the enemy of doubt and disbelief. Father, we believe you are the resurrection. You are the life. And all you have to do is just speak the word and it shall be done. And God, today this church intercedes for that man. He is our brother and he is suffering. And we pray, God, right now as we stand in the gap, that you will intervene. And we know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercessory for us even right now as we pray. And God, we ask you to relieve him of the, of the cancer and move upon him and let his body be whole. And if the church believes this prayer to be answered, I'd like for you to stand to your feet and give God praise for what he's doing right now. Hallelujah to your name, Father. Ah, give him a shout. A shout of victory in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. 
Lord, we praise you. We praise you. We praise you. Sometimes the church has just got like have to have bulldog faith and plow through. Amen? And just hang together and let's just believe the Lord for him. You know, when you begin to look at our text in Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, we see that it mentions two different cleansing agents for us as the believer. And he talks about refining and he talks about bathing. And then the agents that he mentions is a refiner's fire and then he mentions a fuller soap. I think most of us understand what it means to be refined. The process of refinery is a message within itself, but I want us to mainly focus upon this thing called fuller soap. We know that in every house, according to the Apostle Paul, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. We're talking about the house. We're not only talking about the church. We're not only talking about your house or my house, individual houses. We're talking about our temples, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in every house, there are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. We also know that there's not only gold, silver, and precious stones, but he mentions there's also wood, hay, and stubble. However, we also know in order to get the gold and the silver and the precious stones to appear, and that would be what it actually is magnified and seen. The impurities, the wood, hay, and the stubble have to burn up so that the gold, the silver, and the precious stones can be the one that comes to the top. The Bible is full of scriptures of how each and every one of us will face what we call fiery trials of our faith and they're there and they're there to be used to refine us. We don't like the refinery process but it's necessary. And this is what that God said about Israel in Zechariah chapter 13 verse 9. He said, and I will bring the third part through the fire and I will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And all through the scripture, I can give you scripture after scripture after scripture, the Bible talks about you and I being tried. It talks about in the book of Proverbs, our hearts being tried. Our spirits are tried. You are tried by fire. That is just truth. You and I all go through the different kinds of hardships, afflictions, and storms of life that try us. In Isaiah 48, verse 9 through 11, the Bible says, for my namesake will I defer my anger and for my praise will I refrain from thee that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, even my own sake, will I do it. For how shall my name be polluted and I will not give glory unto another. Now what is he saying there? If you'll break it up, the Lord said that he would not, that he would, I should say, he would not be angry, that he would refrain from his anger and he would not cut off Israel but he would refine them so that his name would not be polluted. Did you notice that? His people represented his name. His people represented him. Therefore, he would not allow them to go down. And if they went down, then that meant that they would pollute his name. He was not only protecting them, but he was also protecting his own name. And he refused to another to receive glory. In other words, there was never a day that's going to come because God had made covenant with Israel. There will never be a day that the enemy's going to rise up and be given to mock and to say that God wasn't able to redeem his people. He said, you know what? You don't even deserve it, but I'm going to refrain from my anger and I'm going to refine you and I'm going to purify you, not because you're really wanting it, not because you really deserve it, but because I'm protecting my own name because I made a covenant with you. I love you so much that I'm going to make you clean whether you like it or not. Come on, somebody. And he's going to do that through the tribulation period. We know that because the Bible tells us that Jacob's trouble's there to refine them. But he was not only protecting them, but he was protecting his own name. And then God says to us in the New Testament, the Gentile church, he tells us in 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13, listen to what he says. Beloved, say beloved. 
He's talking to you and I. He's talking to the beloved. He said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing come upon you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceedingly joy. Now notice some things. First of all, he said, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial of your faith. Sometimes when things come upon us, we think, what in the world is going on? God said, don't be surprised by these things. God's saying these things, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial of your faith and some strange things happening to you. But if you suffer with Christ, he says, not only are you going to be glorified with him, but at the end time, you're going to be exceedingly glad and have exceedingly joy because I'm going to bring you through a refiner's fire. What did the Bible say about Jesus in the book of Hebrews 5 and 8? Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things in which he suffered. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us for by him becometh, it says by it, for it becometh him, for who knoweth all things, and by him all things, that the captain, that he might be bring many sons to glory, for the captain of our salvation was perfect through suffering, or perfected through suffering. In other words, the captain of our salvation being Jesus Christ, and though the Bible says in Hebrews 10, or, or 5 and 8, excuse me, that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things in which he suffered. Jesus learned obedience in the flesh by the things that he suffered. And you and I also go through fire to learn obedience. And it purifies us and it sanctifies us. The trials, the temptations and afflictions many times are only there and they're used to temper us and they're there to cleanse us. Silver and gold is extracted as we all know from ore. Give you just a little bit of a definition we'll move on and go to the fuller soap. But we know that silver and gold is extracted from oil that contains all kinds of foreign substances. The short process of refining is this, just to give you a kind of an overview that the ore then is heated up to about 1800 degree Fahrenheit. It's brought to a heat in order to be able to make the impurities come to the top. This, that when the heat hits it, the impurities come to the top and then they take a, a stick kind of like thing and they rake those impurities off. And after raking the impurities off, then you have pure gold and silver that is free from its impurities. And that's what the fire does. That fire purifies that gold. That fire purifies that silver. It takes the foreign substance out that you might have a pure metal, precious metal. Also, the fire is described to mold and to shape us like a potter would on a clay, like he would on a, 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 as he fashions it upon his wheel. And matter of fact, the blacksmith, you know what he does? He'll heat the metal in the fire until it becomes beet red, and then he takes that out and he begins to pound it with a hammer. And then when it begins to cool off, he sticks it back in the fire, he pulls it back out, and he keeps hammering. And then when it gets to cool off, he puts it back in the fire. He does that over and over and over and over until he makes the vessel that he desires out of it. And I want to tell you something, folks. You and I will go through series of testings of fire because it's nothing more than the great blacksmith in heaven taking us and putting through the fire of our affliction, the fire of our furnace, and he's working the rough edges out of our lives. He's purifying us and he's making us the vessel that he desires for us to be. Can you say amen? How many of you have ever went through a trial? How many of you have ever liked that trial? None of us like it, but it's necessary in our lives. And matter of fact, what, this is what God sometimes does just in order to let us know that he loves us because Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, for we know that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and to them who are called according to his purpose. Do you know that everything you go through as a believer is designed by God for your better? 
Do you believe that? Even the things that Job went through, the devil had to get permission in order to be able to even to tempt Job or to try Job. Everything that is going on in your life, God has allowed it to happen or it would not be happening or you're creating unnecessary hardship on yourself because we can create that ourselves. But even though this is one of the ways that God cleanses us and purifies us, even so, he does not only refine us with fire, but he also uses a thing called fuller soap. And that's what I want to talk to you about a little bit this morning. That caught my attention. I preached a sermon on this years and years ago, but I want to talk to you about this fuller soap. A fuller is an individual who would take raw, filthy wool from sheep that had been sheared and he would purify it using a variety of different kinds of techniques. And one of those techniques was using an extremely harsh soap that would ultimately make it clean and this fooler would cleanse it by taking it and, and he would begin to put the soap in it and do this technique and that's why they called it fuller soap. But the cleansing process took place in what was called the fuller's field which was outside of the city of Jerusalem because they wouldn't allow it to be done in the city because of the horrible odor that took place in, in processing that wool. Dirt and oils was removed from the wool so that it would be pure white and it would be ready to be dyed if desired by the people and to be used for clothing or material or whatever they would use the wool for. It would be ready after it come through the process of the fuller soap. And even though the process of a fuller was somewhat what you would call an undesirable task because sometimes the wool was so contaminated, so so stained by the lifestyle and the bad living conditions of the sheep that the fuller not only had to soak and to scrub the wool in the soap with his hands and work it, but he had to use his feet like a washing machine agitator and stomp it upon the wool until he got it clean. They would put it in big bats and he would work it with his hands and work it with his hands. If that didn't work, he'd get over in the bat and he'd stomp and he'd stomp and it was like an agitator. And then he'd pull it to the top. He would stomp and stomp. He would add the soap and he would keep that up until every bit of blemishes got out of that soap. When we go buy a, my, we was buying a, a, a washing machine, we bought one and it was a pile of junk. I wished I could remember the name and I'd tell you, do not buy one of those washing machines. But it was a new kind of uh, style of washing machine and Jenny said, I know one thing, when we buy another one, it's going to have an old-fashioned agitator. You get me an agitator. You understand me? I said, yes, man. She said, I don't care how cheap it is. I don't care how expensive it is. All I know is I want an agitator. So I want to just tell everybody, my wife's a professional about washing machines. Get you an agitator, amen. It'll get everything clean. And that's what this man had to do with his hard labor and his hard work. And even though he had to go through that process, and even though it could be quite a task to get the wool clean and to be presentable, yet the task, even though it was undesirable, yet the job of a fuller was very much considered a desirable position, even though it was covered in that humble mist of dirty manual labor because the fuller was the authority of fashion at that time and he had the responsibility from everything that was made out of that cloth from clothes to the priestly garments to flags to currency even some of the armor even had that, that wool and that, that different material placed within it and as I began to think about the fuller soap it took me back to my childhood days now I don't know like most young boys 
boys, little boys, when I was very young, I never liked to take a bath. I was watching Andy Griffin the other day, and, and um, Andy told uh, Opie that he said he had went off to uh, camp, and he said something about having to take a bath. He said, why, Dad? It's only been three days since I had one. And, and, you know, and Andy looked and said, oh, my goodness, three days the boy ain't had a bath. Well, that's kind of the way I was as a child. I did not like to take baths. Number one, I never had enough time. And number two, I never really seen any use in it. I played hard, and believe me, at the end of the day, as a little bitty boy, I was a filthy kid. We played a lot in an old junkyard there in my hometown in Dudley, and we made forts out of old cars and tankers and, and metal, the metal that products that was there. There were acres and acres and acres in this junkyard and the junk sometimes would be piled as high as the ceiling and we would dig tunnels to it and we'd have a room here, dig a tunnel, make a room here, dig a tunnel, make a room here. All through that junkyard, they didn't know it, but we had forts in that junkyard. And um, you know, it's a wonder that stuff didn't come crashing down on us. It's a wonder they wouldn't ram it with something getting the metal out and we didn't know that they were there and it's a miracle we're not dead. But nevertheless, in that ground that had been junkyard for years, there was nothing but oil oil and dirt and grime the, the dirt was completely black and we would come home with grease from head to toe and my mama would say you quit playing in that junkyard you're ruining your clothes and she gets so mad at us we swimmed in old sloughs and muddy ditches and we had mud fights we dig tunnels and we wallowed around in the dirt we played in hay barns we rolled pigs in the pig pens and they'd throw us off in the pig mire we'd roll cattle and we'd jump out of trees on the cattle and they of course you rode about two seconds and off you went and we played in the woods with uh, with ticks, chiggers and poison ivy and we, we played hard and we had all kinds of dirt and grime and grit and critters on us and my mother when she had seen me at the door almost every day of my life take those clothes off. She would make me take them off on the outside of the house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And she would grab me by the head of the hair and the first thing she would say, get in that tub boy and she would put me in that bathtub and you know, and I'd go in there and I'd take my bath. It was a pretty nice bath. But you know, the hard trial came after the bath time. It was called, it was called examination time. Any nobody what I'm talking about? And she'd pull me out and I'd say, she said, you take a bath? Yes, did you get clean? Did you scrub? Yes, ma'am. Come here to me. And she'd grab me always by my ear for some reason. You know why my ears are so big? They're stretched by my mama. Mm. And she would get me and she'd pull me over there. And the first thing she'd do, she'd pull them ears back. You didn't wash behind your ears. And then she'd look at my elbows and then she'd look at my ankles and then she'd look at my feet. You get yourself back in that bathtub. But this time, she didn't let me clean. She took me a bath. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It was then that she done the scrubbing. It was then that she began to take the bath. And she would make this statement almost every single time. She would say, no kid of mine, no kid of Glenda Miller's is going to go around and no one's going to be able to say, I got kids that are dirty. In other words, she was more concerned about her own image than she was mine. Can I have an amen? Isn't that like God said about Israel? No one's going to say, I can't take care of my children. Well, that's what my mama would say. And you know, and she would put me in that bathtub. And then when she gave me a bath, she was rough as a cob. Amen? But I can remember on several occasions, she'd say, uh-oh. She'd scrub and scrub. It's time for lava soap. Anybody remember lava soap? I don't know if it's even still around or not, but 
If anybody knows what lava soap is, it's the soap that they always said on the commercials. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. It's pumice empowered. Pumice is an abrasive stone that removes grime and dry skin. And when that old ivory spring and when that, and that, uh, or the ivory and that Irish spring wouldn't cut the grease, my mama would get that old gritty abrasive lava soap and she went to work on me. And to me as a kid, that old abrasive soap was horrible. It was tough. And you know, kids' skins is not as tough as an adult skin. And man, she'd get that old abrasive scope and soap and it was very uncomfortable, especially as hard as my mama scrubbed and as much pressure as she put on me. I don't think she wanted me to enjoy the bath so she'd make sure the next time maybe I'd clean myself and she wouldn't have to. Amen? But I'd take them baths and even though it was somewhat uncomfortable, yet sometimes it was necessary to get that old rough abrasive soap in order to cut the grime and cut the grease off of my life. And I can guarantee you by the time that Glenda Miller and Lava Soap got done with you, you were clean, I mean sparkling clean. Amen? And when I begin to think about this, and I begin to think about life in general, I come to realize that if you live life, you're going to get dirty. Come on, somebody. Let's get real serious with this here today. I put a little bit of humor in there, but what I have said in a physical sense, we better be applying it to a spiritual sense. I want you to know if you live life, you're going to get dirty. Not some of us, but all of us. Don't look around and think, yeah, so-and-so's dirty, but I'm not. If, you're, if you go out into the real world and do work, do ministry, or have any kind of activity whatsoever, you're going to get dirty. Whether you're going to go to a job, whether you're going to be a school, go to school, or whether you're a stay-home mom, I don't care where you're at, what you're doing. If you're going to live life, you're going to get dirty. It's normal, or it should be normal, that every one of us take a bath every single day, regardless of how much activity that, you know, that we do. Don't matter if you do low activity, high activity. You, got, you need to take a bath every day. Amen. Benjamin, my son Benjamin, I don't understand it as manly as he is. He took five baths a day, and I'd have to beat John just to take one a week if, I, if possible. But, you know, that's the difference in boys. But just unbathed flesh alone begins to put an odor out, they say, within less than 24-hour period. It gets clammy, it gets sticky, it gets sweaty, and it begins to put off an odor whether we smell or not. And there is no reason in the 21st century, let me just meddle here a little bit, there's no reason in the 21st century for anybody to smell or to be unclean. Can I have an amen? You may be poor, but you don't have to be dirty and filthy. I had a friend that he was poor, 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 poor. He had patch, they wore rags, but I want to tell you something, those rags were spotless. Amen. My aunt lived in a cabin that was over a hundred and some years old back in the 1970s when we went out to Grand Junction, Colorado. We went in. She had dirt floors, and you know what she done? She mopped them. She kept it like concrete. It's unbelievable what you can do with packed dirt. It was spotless. You could almost eat off that dirt floor because she knew how to preserve it. There is no reason in the 21st century for you and I not to, not to take baths and for us to smell. As the old saying goes, many people think it's scripture, and it says cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, it's not a scripture verse, but it does hold the biblical principles of cleanliness. There are two kinds of contaminations or uncleanliness mentioned in the Bible. They are found in the book of 2, Chronicle, or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, he's talking to the church, Say so he's talking to the church. 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, Paul is writing to the beloved. He's writing to the church. He's writing to the believers. He's writing to us as Christians, and he tells us to cleanse ourselves from the all filthiness of our flesh and of our spirit. He's telling you and I to do that as believers. Well, I thought we were saved. I thought we were clean. We are. But if you live life, you're going to get dirty. You're going to get blemished. You're going to get spotted. You're going to get wrinkled. You're going to have some tragedies. You're going to have some accidents. You're going to have some faults. Come on, somebody. Help me preach here. And I know that he's talking when he talks about the deed of the flesh that many, in many occasions he talks about things such as fornication, adultery, lasciviousness, idolatry, drunkenness, lust, anger, bitterness, jealousy. Uh, that's in the book of Galatians, but I don't think he's talking about that here. He's talking about the things of the flesh that just come along, irritations that grab a hold of you, that can make you come under the influence of something that would cause something unhealthy in your life. He's not talking about those heavy stuff like drunkenness. He's talking about irritations that come along and that can create a mood of depression or, or an irritation can come by and cause a root of bitterness. So he's talking about those little foxes that spoil the vine. He's talking about those things of the flesh that you just, where you just go to work, where you go to ministry, where you go to school, where you, whatever you do, and all of a sudden just these cares of life come along and they begin to put attachments to you and those attachments begin to affect you in the flesh. Come on, somebody help me preach. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit according to the Apostle Paul's teaching and it should represent Jesus Christ and therefore it should be clean inside and out. Amen. Let's consider, first of all, the outward man, the fleshly man. Let's, let's talk about him. How many believe that taking a bath is a spiritual principle? Being clean is biblical. It is. Matter of fact, if you're not clean on the outside, I'm going to make a bold statement, then you're probably not clean on the inside. Because I believe if the heart is clean, the outward will line up with what's on the inside of the heart. I really believe that. One of the indicators that I think that people are not right with God is their filthiness and uncleanliness or dirtiness. Woo! It's getting quiet in here. Filthiness and godliness does not go together, my friend. Wherever there's filthiness, I want you to know there is demonic presence because I'm not talking about demonic possession necessarily, but there's demonic influence that attaches itself to filthiness because it's a sign that ever who is filthy, ever who's not keeping clean, ever who's not keeping their home, everybody's not keeping their place clean. I'm not talking about clutter. I'm not talking about living conditions. I'm talking about filthiness and dirtiness and uncleanliness. If it's there, it's a sign that somebody's depressed it's a somebody's got low self somebody's affected in their flesh and they are dirty Woo! it's quiet however you can be clean all you want on the outside and still be unclean on the inside just cause you're clean on the outside don't make you clean on the inside Jesus said that in Matthew Matthew 23 27 the Pharisees were like white sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful he said but inwardly they're like dead men's bones so it is possible to be clean on the outside and not clean on the inside. But I decree unto you, if you are clean on the inside, eventually, it might take some disciples yet, but eventually you're going to be clean on the outside. If you're right with God and you have a pure spirit, that spirit is going to be regulating and governing the outward man. Can I have an amen? We are to be clean in the flesh. You know it's odd how easy it is to become contaminated and polluted and not even know it. Amen? Just coming in contact with things of the flesh sometimes can taint you. 
I used to call it taunt because it does taunt you as well. But it's taint you. When I worked at Gates Rubber Company in the 1980s, I uh, would come home and I would smell like rubber and I would smell like Yukon oil because I worked in that area. And I'd get in my car and as I drove my car back and forth, every morning when I got in my car, mm, man, smell of Gates. Smell of Gates. It was horrible. Not only did it taint my clothes, but everything I got in, it tainted it as well. When I'd get home, Jenny said, oh, man, them clothes smell. Take them off. I put them in the washer. And, you know, I could go to Gates Rubber Company and take a shower and everything. One time I had forgot something. We were going to go out to eat. And I said, oh, I left my thing on my desk at, the, at Gates. And she said, won't you run in and get it? And I ran in there just 10 minutes and got what it was and come out. And she said, oh, no, you smell like Gates. Come on now. Just the smell of the odor of just walking in that building in the back, I become tainted. You can become contaminated so easily, just like that. There was a widow woman that used to ride our bus over on 9th and Cedar Street, and she had no family, no friends, no relatives. There was not anyone that cared for her. She was all alone, and we had come in contact with her somehow. I don't even remember how. But we began to pick her up for church, but it wasn't long until we had a complaint. No matter of fact, it wasn't long until we had a huge problem. The bus driver told us that he was losing all of his riders. And I said, what in the world for? And he said, because the smell of that little old lady. He even tried to pick her up and drop her off first and then go pick everybody else up. And just the aftermath, just the residue of smell lingered behind until it was unbearable to ride that bus. It was that bad. And we began to see people even in the church there on 9th and Cedar. All of a sudden, there was just this big hole. She was sitting here, no one around her. And let me tell you, every seat back in those days was important. And no one could sit by her because of her smell. And we would take Lysol, and we would go over there, and we'd spray the seats in which she sat in. And then we'd go to the bus, and we'd spray the seat down to no avail. Even though Lysol was pretty powerful stuff, yet you, that, that odor was still there. There was a hint of it. And so Jenny, you know, my wife, she her in a few ways got together and talked about it. And she went to town. She bought this little lady a new dress and some clothes and some shampoo and some soap and some perfume and whatever. And she took it down to her. And we thought, man, maybe this will give her the hint. And they talked subtly to her and nice to her and showed her love and, and all of that kind of thing. And to no avail, it didn't help help whatsoever. So now it was time for someone to really talk to her. And guess what? I got voted to do that. And so I took, I think it was my wife, if I remember correctly, we went to her house and there were over 30 some animals living in her house with her. And I'm talking about big dogs, cats, everywhere. I mean, and they were in her beds, they were on the stove. They were, you wouldn't believe that how filthy and how dirty. The house was completely gone. There was no repairing of the house. It was totally going to have to be destroyed. There was animal feces all over the place. It was everywhere. The smell and the odor was horrendous. And I seen that cleaning her up alone wasn't the answer due to the living conditions that she lived in. There wasn't no amount of soap, no amount of clean clothes that was going to do her any good whatsoever until she changed the habit and the way that she lived. And there are things about our lives that we can't see that everybody else sees. And the only way it's going to change it is not by, you know, they said you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Amen. And there's some of us going to have to take notice of where we're at spiritually and physically and say we're going to have to make some changes in our lives if we want a quality life. 
So I began to talk to her and I tried to convince her about government housing and how I would help get rid of the animals and how. And the minute I said that, it was like war. No, you're not. What are you going to do? You're going to kill them? I thought, lady, you, you don't understand. You know, I, and I was kind. And I even got to the place of commitment that I said, I'll give them, try to give them as best I can to homes. I was going to go out and try to help this lady. But no, no, no. And I said, but the government housing, it, they're nice. It's warm. They're, it's clean. And, and you'll enjoy it. And I said, we can get you in there. I, I know your income. You don't have any money, honey. And I said, you're, you're, you're heating with an old wood stove. And, 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 and I said, it's dangerous. And you're having to work. And, and all of a sudden, she began to flat refuse. She got an attitude. She, she wouldn't give up her animals. And she found it very insulting that I would even ask her to do that. And she got so mad and upset, she wouldn't even talk to me. So now it was time for Pastor Miller to get a little bit frank. I had to get honest with her. And I talked to her and I said, Sister, do you not understand? I said, You've got an odor about you that's making people sick. I said, I'm, I'm telling you, folks, you're gag. I, I, you couldn't believe what the smell was in that house. And I'm sitting there saying, We got to get out on the porch. I can't, I was burning my, burning my, it was horrible. And you know what was so funny about all of it? What was so ironic? is that she thought I was lying and she could not really believe that she smelt. And so much of the time when we get contaminated and not take care of ourselves promptly on a regular basis, we begin to lose sensitivity to our senses. Now hang on with me. You're saying, why are you preaching like this? I don't know, God told me to. Remember this, if you smell yourself, people have been smelling you for a lot longer than you have been smelling you. Amen? If you ever get to the place, man, I stink. Yeah, everybody's been smelling a lot longer than you have. Can I have an amen? By the time you smell yourself, they've been smelling you for a week, bub. Amen? When you first notice the contamination, then it's time to deal with it because if you don't, you'll learn to live with it and gradually you'll give in to the contamination. It'll become a way of life for you. Amen? She had learned how to live in that smell and her sense of smelling was seared by her continual living in those conditions. Our five senses can be seared due to the pollutions and the contaminations that you and I come in contact with. I'm making a sermon. Hang with me. I have visited nice, expensive, elaborate homes, four or $500,000 homes, and when you walked into their home, there was a sense of smell, and usually, not always, but it was caused by a pet in the house. And you know, the people that lived there were wealthy, they were clean, they were upright, but the sense of smell was, their, their sense of smell was tarnished due to living among that smell day in and day out, they got used to it. And you know, to keep the smell or the odor from a pet being in the house is a constant bathing and cleansing and hard work. Those of you that got pets in the home and your home is clean and it smells good, you know what kind of work that is. It's hard work. Because just as humans have to take a bath every single day, I want to tell you something. You have to bathe your animals pretty continually or you're going to have a smell in your house and you're not going to recognize it. And everybody that comes in goes, whoa, what's that smell? Whoa, come on, somebody. It's getting quiet. I don't know why. I tried to talk and reason with this little lady and I told her, I said, look, we love you. We care for you. Oh, you don't either. You want to run my life. And yana. I mean, she was chewing me out and spitting me up. And needless to say, I had to end up telling her, all right, this is where we're at, honey. I've never done this before in my life, but you can't come back to church until you have some life changes. You got to get clean. Because we just cannot, we cannot handle the smell. You say, well, Brother Miller, you, you cast somebody. I want to tell you, I was losing people, right? I'm, I'm talking the smell was so bad, you could not be around her. 
She quit the church, got bitter, and someone turned her into the Humane Society. And guess who got the blame for that? It wasn't me, but ever who beat me to it, I thank God they did because I cared enough about her that she was going to die. She's going to get a disease or something. Somebody had to do it, and somebody done it for me. I don't know who done it for me, but if you're in this audience and you know who you are, thank you. Let me kiss you. You, you don't have to tell me. I've done got the blame for it, so it's okay, but you helped the little lady out. She actually got upset and wouldn't speak to me for a long, long time. And we become, but you and I can become so contaminated and you and I not even realize it. There was a certain person in our church back then as well that would always come up and hug me right after the service, the first one to hug me. And when I would get in the car, I could smell their body odor all over me. And I almost was embarrassed after they would hug me to go hug anybody else in the church service because they would think it was me smelling like that. Come on. Their body odor was so bad that just coming and hugging me, it come on me to where I smelled. I liked what my kids used to say about Sister Merriman. Where Samuel, when he was little, John and Ben would say, they get in the car, oh, Sister Merriman took care of Sam today. Didn't they go to children's church? They didn't know who took care of him. And they'd say, Sister Merriman, because they smelt her perfume. It was a sweet smell. It was a good smell, Amen. It was a sweet-smelling odor. And let me say this. Our lives are to be a sweet-smelling odor. It ought to be off the altar of incense of prayer every single day when we walk in. Our lives are to have a sense of aroma about it that lifts people up and not tears people down. Can I have an amen? I'll get to that in a minute. But um, the things that we come in contact with can contaminate us in the flesh so easily. And there are people that refrain from going into certain restaurants. You know why? Because when they walk out, the smell of that food because of a lack of ventilation is on them. They don't go to, I, I don't know how many people, in one of my favorite restaurants, I'd say, let's go down there. And the women would always say, no, you leave smelling like that place. Come on. My mama, she used, there was a certain place, I won't go into detail. She'd look at me and she says, boy, you're not to go down to that place. You understand me? Never. You're never to go down to that place. Yes, mama. Yes, mama. Now, if you do, you're going to get spanking. Yes, mama. I don't want you down there. There's bad influences down there. That ain't a good place to be. Yes, mama. Well, every once in a while, I just have to sneak off and go down there. I'd come back and walk in the house. It wasn't 10, 15 minutes. Boy, told you not to be going down there. I look up at her, and I think, that woman's got eyes in the back of her head. How into the world does this woman know where I've been all the time? And, of course, the whipping took place, and three or four months passed. I'd get enough nerve, and I'd try it again, come in, 10, 15 minutes. She'd say, ah, boy, I told you not to go down there. I thought, someone down there snitching on me. Well, the older I got, the more mature I got, I figured it out. It was the smell. The place I went in put an odor out. It got on my clothes, and when I come home, she smelt it. And so I got smart. As a 16-year-old, I'd come out and get the cologne, Everybody know what I'm talking about? And tried to disguise it and try to cover it up. I'd get home, 15, 20 minutes, mom coming there. Boy, I told you not to go down there. I'm going to talk to your daddy. You're getting old enough now. Ooh, you don't have to talk to that. I won't go back down there no more. Even though I put on the cologne, and a lot of us is trying to doctor ourselves up and trying to do all kinds of things to hide it and not get it exposed, but I want to tell you, there's nothing that you can apply to it except the fuller soap and the blood of the lamb that can erase the smell and the aroma, the stench of sin and influence of the body realm off of your life. 
Amen. You can't cleanse yourself up. You can't hide it. There was just that hint of smell there. Just like that Lysol. We'd go out in that van and we'd spray it. You could smell Lysol until it almost make it up. But there was still that scent of smell of that lady in that van. The same thing was on my clothes. And my mama knew you'd been down there, boy. There are people that, you know, that live in a, second, a home where they don't even smoke, but they live among someone that does secondary smoke. And they, they, everywhere they go, they have a smell of smoke on them because of somebody else's smoking. The list could go on and on and on, but even as we can become contaminated in the flesh, we can also become contaminated in the spirit as well. Even as our five senses can be seared, living among things to where we no longer smell or taste or feel or hear, you say, oh, that's impossible. When we first moved to Dudley in the 1960s, my mom and dad lived off out in the middle of nowhere in the, what they called the Black River Bottoms around, and around Current River, around Reno and down, down in that area in Arkansas, out in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, my dad would tell me, I was only two years old, but all of a sudden my mom would say, Bill, it's okay, it's okay, but a freight train would come through town at Dudley and he'd raise up out of the bed. What in the world is going on? He had never heard anything like that because Dudley, as those of you that have been in Dudley, it's four big blocks and two of them are on the north side, two of them on the south side, and the train tracks goes right in the middle of it. And when you're there in that house, I don't care where you live in that town, it feels like and it sounds like that freight train's gonna come right smack dab through your house. But there came a time till we never even heard it. We never paid attention to it. Come on, our senses got dull. Matter of fact, I'd have friends that spend the night with me. What in the world is that? That's the train. A train? How close are you? It sounded like it come right through the house. My aunt lived out in Eureka, California. We went out for two weeks for vacation several different times. We'd be out there and all of a sudden dad'd say, Toots, that was his nickname for his sister. What? What is that? Well, what's what, Bill? What do you mean? Can't you feel that? Oh, oh, don't worry about it. That's just a tremor. Earthquake tremor. And he said, what do you mean don't worry about it? Oh, we have them all the time. I don't even feel them anymore. Her senses got used to it. And there are things that has attached to us that is not healthy, that's not convenient, that's not proper, and sometimes they can even pollute us to the point they can become sin. And if we're not careful, we get used to it. We can't even detect it any longer because we've seared our conscience by not paying attention and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. God help us. Am I preaching okay this morning? Even as the flesh can be tainted or taunted or whatever you want to call it, our hearts and conscience can be seared with a hot iron as well to where our spiritual senses can become callous. They become numb to feeling and the conviction of the Holy Spirit can't even operate among us the way that he wants to. When you look at Joshua, the high priest in the book of Zechariah, he presents himself before the Lord and his garments are polluted and he has spots and blemishes upon him as a priest. He's rebuked and he's dealt with by God for the contaminations. Satan's even there to accuse him because of those contaminations. What is, what's odd about the contaminations is they were caused by the ministry that he did for the Lord. His garments had manure, it had splatters of blood, it had mud stains and other particles that was caused by his priestly duties of animal sacrifice. Can I tell you, even church work and ministry can contaminate you. Ministry can come, become very nasty. It can become very messy. Those of you that teach children's classes, they can make you pull your hair out, and if you're not careful, you'll get an attitude, and that attitude's caused by your flesh getting contaminated. 
Those of you that work the nursery, you can lose your patience sometimes. Those of you, come on, somebody help me preach. Those of you that clean this church and all of a sudden you're out there and you're mopping the foyer and here comes somebody across the foyer with dirty, dirty feet, you can get an attitude real fast. You know what? Your ministry for the Lord can contaminate you if you're not careful. You counselors in the church, where every, every week you're sitting around counseling somebody, you hear all the negatives, you hear all the dirt, you hear all the complaint, you hear all of the grass. You know what? That bears on a person, and those of you that are in here can become contaminated just like that. If you do a lot of counseling, because it'll destroy you. Even those of you that go to the hospital, going every day, seeing sick people, seeing sick people, addressing sick people, praying for sick people. I want to tell you, that can have a bearing on a person and it can contaminate you. Me preaching funeral after funeral after funeral after funeral and being around death all the time, death can affect you. I'm not talking about gross things. I'm talking about life-related things. They grab all, and in that process of irritations, an enemy comes in and he uses it as a way of manipulating and seducing and getting into your life and bringing an attachment to where he begins to take control of an area of your life because he contaminates you and he pollutes you. It's the small things that we don't even pay attention to. Dealing with people at work. Work can be messy. My mama, she was a city clerk for the city of Dudley. She had a lot of responsibility. She wrote all the grants. She done paid all the bills. She done, she done all kinds of things. But one of the things was the collecting. She hated more than anything was collecting water bills. You know why? Because people would come in and they would chew her out, even cuss her, how high her water bill, how high their water bill was. And she'd say, look, man, I just write the bill out. They turn in the numbers. I fill it out and mail it to you. If you got a problem, see the city council. Or they grab about how high the taxes was when they had to pay the taxes. Look, I'm just the city clerk. I'm just doing my job. They'd cheer out. And she'd come home and sometimes she'd be a, like a raven wolf. And I thought, whoa, you know, I, I look back at it now. She'd become contaminated by her job. It affected her. Those of you that are going to business, trying to keep workers working and trying to keep them on the job and whether they're not calling in sick or time or not just showing up. Or maybe they're not being what they should be with your tools. You know, they don't care. You, they didn't pay for them. They'll throw them around, lose them, not put them up, not keep them clean. And you'll sit there and pull your hair out as an owner if you're not careful. And your very job that's making you a living and it's good for your life and you're commanded to do it. If you're not careful, that very thing that God commands you to do is the very thing that can pollute you. The very job we do in the house of the Lord. If we're not careful, we'll think, oh, I'm doing all this for the Lord and just doing it for the Lord's keeping me insane. No, it's not. If you're not careful, the ministry's so rough at times, it'll pollute you. You know, just life itself, just life itself contaminates you. Seeing things on the internet, reading certain posts that you didn't even want to read. It just come up, well, who's that from? You read it, well, I didn't need to read that negative thing. Receiving certain texts. Come on can open the door up to a spirit to attack you. I don't even get on the internet and somebody will come by and say, Brother Mary, did you hear what they said about you? And before I stop, they tell me, and all of a sudden, something I haven't even seen, just what I've heard affected me. And now what I do with that now is going to determine whether that's going to be an area that's raw, that's inflestered, that's going to cause me much pain and much trouble. Come on. Am I going to bring every thought into captivity, the obedience of Christ? 
pulling down the stronghold that that thing tries to set up. Hearing a song can stir up an unhealthy emotion. Some of you hear songs that remind you of your old girlfriend. Oh, girls, you laugh. Some of you hear a song that reminds you of your old boyfriend, too. It's unhealthy. Come on. Some of you are saying, yeah, I wish I'd married Joe instead of Sam. God help us. Seeing a picture sometimes can bring back horrible memories, bad memories. Anything can trigger us. It's not the things that we just entertain, but it's just the things that we just bump into living life that can cause us to become seduced and influenced by a spirit. It's not just the porn, drugs, alcohol, and sex that trips people up. That's the obvious. If you got that going on in your life, you got serious problems. But it's the unobvious things that gets us. It's the whining of a friend, the griping of a spouse, the letdown of a son or a daughter. It's the news that we watch. It's the irritations of the cares of life. It's the breakdown of a car. It's losing a job. It's a leaking roof. It can also be the flattering words of people, the praise from men, the honorary position that you just got, the promotion you got. Or it could be the letdowns, the lack of promotion, the lack of respect, the feeling of you being used, the feeling of being abused and manipulated. It could be a lot of different things. I could give you a thousand different things of how the things and experiences and words and just living life can cause us to be contaminated by, by a spirits in our, and put spiritual influence in our lives. The real question is I have for all of us, me included, what makes us think that we need to take a bath, spirit, a bath physically every single day, but we feel it's okay not to take a bath spiritually every day. Why is it that we neglect devotions, we refuse to pray on a consistent basis, we escape spiritual responsibilities? How is it that we think that we can get by with a couple of spiritual baths a year and think that we're not gonna stink spiritually? Amen? Why is it that we think a couple of trips to the altar here is good enough, man? You know? You know what happens in a lot of churches? I still got some minutes left. I'm going to take every single one of them. You know what happens in churches a lot of times, especially in the areas where there's servants, in the areas of ushering where people, ushers are busy and they're always serving the people and they're always up and they're always looking out for the other individual and they're taking care of their opening doors or setting people, they're getting chairs, they're helping the pastor regulate the service and they're making sure that everybody's okay. You got security people that do the same thing. You got sound man that's stuck in a booth back there and he's got so much responsibility on him. All he knows is he's paying attention to everything that goes on, the sound and the lighting and all of that kind of stuff. And if you're not careful, those kinds of ministries in your life, you'll sit back there and you'll die spiritually because you never are able to interact and come in around an altar and have a bath with God. And I'm here to tell my ushers, I'm here to tell my greeters, I'm here to tell my sound men, I'm here to tell those that's stuck in these back rooms, any given time that you need a bath, you let down your guard, we don't have to have the best of everything. Your life's more important to me than anything. Get yourself around an altar, take you a good bath, because if you don't, you're not gonna get, you're not gonna be any good for us being stinky in the nostrils of God. Can I have an Amen. Even though we've been saved and born again and forgiven of our sins, yet we have to realize that we all need impurities removed from our lives through the process of purification. 
We all need to be made clean. We need to be sanctified. We need to be set apart. We need a new act of consecration to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We all, not some of us, but all of us need regular spiritual baths because living life will contaminate us. And you know what Jesus said about life? I've come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. So if we're going to live life abundantly the way that Jesus wants us to, we're going to be taking a lot of baths. Amen? The more you live, the more contaminated, contamination you acquire. The more ministry you do, the more pollutions you're going to run into. The more work you do, the more manure you're going to have to put up with. Amen? The Lord spoke to me this week, and he said something so precious to me, and I didn't even really realize what he was saying. He said to me, Kent, I want to wash the palace with fuller soap. I was praying. On a Monday night, and in that prayer meeting, God spoke to me, and he said, I want to bathe the church with fuller soap. I really didn't get it at first, and then I saw the act of grace and love in just a few moments. It began to open up to me of what God was really wanting to do, how he was wanting to cleanse us. Let me ask you a question, a hard question. I'll be closing here in a few minutes. Would you rather be put through the heat of the furnace of affliction, or would you rather take a cool, refreshing bath to bring your cleansing? If I put up a big furnace here and say, hey, we're going to have a cleansing here today, and I'm going to put up a big old shower right over here, and I said, everybody wants to be pure, choose the way you would go, there'd be a line up to the bathtub. I don't think anybody wants to get in the fire. Amen? I know that we cannot avoid the fire altogether. I know there are some things that can only be removed by the purifying of the agent of fire. But there are things that God has cleansed us from our past that his first choice was not to do it through refinery, but his first choice was I would have rather cleansed you through a bathing. Amen? For him to bathe us, we have to become naked before God. You don't see people go home and say, I'm going to take a shower and go in and they got their full clothes on. No, they're naked. You don't need that image, do you? I know. I'm just telling you the truth. In order to take a bath before God, you've got to become naked as if you were taking a physical bath in the natural. We have to remove all of our facades, let down our walls, remove our pride, and become humble before the presence of the Lord. We have to admit that we have fears, that we have insecurities, that we have doubts, that we have unbeliefs, that we have worry, that we have anxiety, that we have bitterness, that we have anguish of heart just due to the cares of life. We have them just by living life, by the things that we bump into, by the things that come against us, by the things we handle, taste, see, and smell. We get dirty. Amen? If we ignore our problems and if we don't admit our weaknesses, then we will find ourselves being refined through the fire. But if we'll humble ourselves and become naked and open before God, God will bathe us in his presence. And guess what? In his presence is fullness of joy. You know what he'll do? He will cleanse us with his presence because in the book of Acts chapter 2, Peter said, and the times of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. Isn't it refreshing to take a good bath and feel clean? Amen. Uh, my dad used to love taking a bath. He'd go in there and fall asleep. And every time I had a date, and I'd come in from work, I'd start to get in the bathtub. Dad was in the bathtub. Hurry up, Dad. Wow, you got a date? Yeah, he, he, he had this little word drive me crazy. He'd go, tee-hee. I don't know what that meant. I hope it ain't nothing bad. <laughs> Dad, 
Dad, come on, I got a date. Ten minutes later, I'd go in there. And he's sound asleep. Dad, get out of the bathtub. Come on. And he'd do that and just prolong it as long as he could just to aggravate me because he loved to take baths. When is the church going to start loving the presence of God to where they say, obey me, oh God. Come on. And some of the scrubbing may have to get a little bit rough to get some of the grandma. I don't think it could possibly half as bad as what my mom's scrubbing was. Man, when she peeled a hide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Felt like a wool cloth sometimes. And she'd done it on purpose thinking, you know, he'll learn his lesson. He'll start washing himself. When I got older, I did. But you know, even David, a man after God's own heart, he found himself polluted at times. And this is what he said in Psalms 51 and 10. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He recognized even though that he's a man after God's own heart, there were things that, that contaminated him. He needed a clean heart. He needed a spirit renewed. Those of you that are born again and you're believers, often we have to have our hearts cleaned. The center of our emotions. Because sometimes we carry around unhealthy emotions. It's not the will of God for men of God and women of God to be depressed and angry and jealous and hurt and bitter and unforgiving and mean-spirited and low self-esteem. And Come on. Walking around with condemnation. It ain't the will of God for you to walk around with condemnation. If you had a clean heart, those things would not be upon you. You need a bath. You've been tainted. Things has got next to you. It's triggered you. Now, there can be a physical problem that can cause some of that. I'm not saying that. I can't preach every aspect of it. But listen to me. David went on in Psalms 51 and 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. In other words, David was asking for the washing instead of the refining. David says, give me a bath. Don't put me in the heat of affliction. I've done been through that with Saul. I don't need no more of that, God. Hallelujah. How many have ever been through the furnace? Oh, yeah. Look at the Lord's invitation to all of us in Isaiah 1 and 18. Come now. Let us reason together. You know what God wants to do? He wants to sit down and have an open conversation with you and reason it out with you. Come on. He don't want to burn it out of you. He wants to, if he can, smooth it out by his presence, having an open conversation through relationship. Amen? My dad always used to say, you can sit and listen to me or I can get your attention. Hello? God has a way of getting your attention if you need him to. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as a scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God's saying, I want to set you down and I want to have an open conversation where we can reason this out to where I do not have to put you through the hot, hot furnace of affliction. I want to bathe you in my presence and refresh you because you know what he says in Romans 2 and 4 of our text? Why are you despising the goodness of God? Don't you know that it's the goodness of God, it's the long-suffering God, the forbearance of God that brings you to repentance? He's saying, I don't want to reach you. And then he tells Israel, he says to them, it, I had to bring severity into them to keep them from being cut off. Though I cut them off for a period of time, I'm gonna graft them back in. I've given them that covenantal promise. But it was the severity of God that came upon them. And then he looks at the church and he said, but to you it was goodness, talking about the Gentile church. I've been good to you, but I've been hard on Israel. But he said, you remain good because if you don't remain good, I'll also get severe with you. And what God is saying to the palace of praise, 
I want to come down in this place and give you a bath. I want to put you in there and I want to love you as a father would love a son and scrub you and talk with you and have an open conversation with you and out with the reason it out and washing you with the blood of the lamb and washing you with fuller soap. You're going to come out clean and when it's all said and done, the gold and the silver and the precious stones are going to be revealed without being burned up. Can I have an Amen. It's our choice here this morning. Refinery or bath. But God loves you too much to leave you where you're at. Because his name's at stake is at his name's at stake here. Oh. Now let me give you a testimony, and this in this I'll close. After a couple of years, one day we got a call. I got a call. Brother Miller, this is so and so. I won't tell you her name. No one knows her probably anymore anyway. And had no family. She's dead and gone now. But as the little lady that had that smell, she called me. Brother Miller, this is so-and-so. Would you come by and pick me up for church? I said, most gladly. We went to the government housing where she's at. Here. Here. Here come this beautiful 80-year-old lady. Her hair pinned back. Had a beautiful blue and white dress on. White shoes. Smiling. She got in the car. I went. Hey. She had perfume on. We bring her to the church, and as I'm getting her out, she grabs a hold of me, embraces me, and pulls me to her side, bawling her eyes out, me bawling with her. Thank you so much. I was so lost and didn't know it. I was such in such bondage and didn't realize it. Forgive me of everything I said to you. You were right and I was wrong. Thank you for saving my life. And I almost said, well, sister, it wasn't me that turns you in. <laughs> but I felt checked and I didn't do that. I didn't have to. I didn't turn her in. I have a gut feeling there's someone in this service that did, though. <laughs> and ever who you are, you saved her life. And that little lady lived as a saint. Until the day she died and I'd done her funeral, she went out loving the Lord. She didn't even know the life that she was missing because of contamination. She didn't know what she was cheated out of. She didn't know the pleasures. Some of us have got so much weightiness in our spiritual man. We're contaminated. Not some of us, all of us. If you're, if you're breathing in your lungs, you got fingerprints of evil on you somewhere because the enemy's going to make sure of that. You didn't look for it. You didn't ask for it. You weren't going around flirting with it. It came to you. It's just life-related things. It's just you walking down the road and all of a sudden it has a way of finding you.
We can't hide it. We can't manipulate it. We can't seem to work around it. It's like my son Jonathan. I told you the story before when we'd go to our property that we bought and we was going to build a house and we took a stroll and every time we went there's an old muddy pond there and he'd try to catch a catfish he'd get in and get all muddy and Jenny told him said you get in that pond and get your clothes dirty and I'm going to wear you out well we got back to the property come back we heard splashing going on and said he's in the pond and we come out and there he stood mud head to toe but he was proud of himself I didn't get my clothes dirty I don't have any on Do you think that worked with mama? <laughs> Jonathan learned what lava soap was all about. I'm telling you, we try to somehow work those things around God, make these excuses, paint these pictures, justify it. It don't work. I knew a friend that his dad had an apple that he was saying was on top of a tree way up in the top of that tree and he was saving it to put it into a contest. He was an old man. He was a mean man. And he told his son, he said, John, I'll tell you one thing. You see that tree up there? That apple right up there? Now that's the one I've got in my contest. I've been eyeing that thing for a while. You touch that. If you eat that apple, I'm going to wear you out. The boy's always climbing the tree and getting him apples. You pick that apple and I'm going to wear you out. That's what he said. You pick that apple I'm going to wear you out. You understand? Yes, daddy. And one day he went out there to look at his apple and the core was hanging up there. He didn't pick it. He got up there and ate it and left the core hanging on the tree. That's a true story. Do you think dad said, oh, well, that's funny. That was disobedience. He wore him out. And we try to somehow paint these little pictures to God of justifying why we do what we do, but we're contaminated. We need a bath. Would you stand with me, please?